on my time, I can reclaim it. Reclaiming my time. The solution is with women. On Wednesdays, we were pink. I say jump back, honey, jump back. You got to decide. Do you want to be Nat Turner or Ike Turner? You do not get to be both. I'm Aisha and I'm Chachi and you're listening to Inside the Pink where we take a deep dive into the pink folds of the woman exploring the experience from the inside out. How are you today? I'm in the hot seat. You are in the hot seat. <laughs> so what we're doing is continuing what we did with our last episode. We are getting to know uh, Uchechi today, and um, we are taking a deep dive into her life. Into into me. Yes. <laughs> and so we won't uh, keep you in suspense any longer. So we are going to start with our definition, which is really ha- the definition of you, yeah. uh, your full name, and what it means. So my name is Uchechi, Chinyere. Uchechi means will of God. Uh, Chinyere means gift of God, God gave, those type of things. And just so they know, what is what is the, uh, your... So the background of my name, it's Igbo. Mm-hmm. So uh, ethnic group from the southeast of Nigeria. So that's where my name came from. So Chinyere was after my grandmother. She has the same middle name. So you are the first I'm the first daughter. Mm-hmm. So uh, first daughter. So was there significance with them giving you that name? I think Uchechi was, um, I'm my mom's first child. And I think and my father, their first child together. And I think that that was kind of um, just opening up themselves to the will of God in their lives. Mm. Um, and so I'm being the first child, I was the door to all of that and what their lives are going to hold. I think that's why they named me that. My parents are extremely spiritual and extremely religious. So I think that that was that. Was that. That's um, so powerful. Um, and then Shinyura, I'm the that gift, especially for my mom, um, that first gift, that first, fru- that first time she had a child. Um, but outside of that, they call me a Dunne, uh, which is first daughter of the mother. And is that a common? So other first daughters will be mm-hmm. called that. So it's like a it's like a pet name. So oh. it's either a Dunna or a, some people are actually like that's their like government name. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I've grown up being called a Dunna, a Dunne. Um, Adachuku, which is like the first daughter of God. So all these like pet names that I've kind of grown up with. Um, oh, wow. Kind of signifying my place in the family, yeah. So like, that's a good segue. You're, you are the first daughter. You can tell us about uh, your family, where you were born, and your childhood. So I was born at St. Michael's Hospital in Newark. Um, I grew up in the South Ward of Newark, uh, Lehigh Avenue. The Blue House, 264. We don't live there anymore. None of us live there anymore. So I can say the <laughs> I can say the number. Mm-hmm. But it's such <laughs> it's such a large part of my life. So um, it's funnily enough when I have dreams mm-hmm. and I'm home, it's 264 Lehigh Avenue that shows up in my dreams. How long were you there for? We lived there up until I was 13. So that's a, quite a long time. Yes. Yeah. But we actually started out in Orange. In this apartment on in Orange, right across from a White Castle, I don't remember it because I was like a year when we moved into uh, into Lehigh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, it was a White Castle across the street. The one that's still there? I think it's still there. You were on a Scotland, probably. But there was like a it was an apartment building, and then right across from it was a was a White Castle. And I remember the White Castle at a year old. That's a memory. <laughs> I remember the White Castle. 
but I don't remember the apartment building. <laughs> I just the apartment building might not be there anymore. It might not. Um, I am the oldest of seven kids. Um, I have one brother. Mm-hmm. I have six sisters. Um, one of, I have a sister from my father um, before he married my mom. And my biggest memories of my childhood are summers. Mm. in Newark. Summer camp, the library. I spent a lot of time in the library as a kid. We, uh, my parents would drop us off at the library at like 10 a.m. when they opened and would not pick us up till it closed. Now, was that so they can get a break? I'm sure. <laughs> when my mom was working. My mom was a nurse. My mom was a nurse and my father um, had his own business mm-hmm. and they were both working. Yes. And then they were, and then not only that, but like they couldn't um, really afford to put because my sisters and I, the mm-hmm. first, uh, the first four, we were born back to back. Yeah, so we're all like a year and some change between each other. My sister and I, the second one, she's actually we're only a year and a week apart. So my birthday is oh. June thirteenth, hers is June twentieth. Oh my! Gosh. So we've essentially like celebrated our birthdays for uh, like together for the our, like our whole lives. Oh. Um, and she always gripes that her birthday always falls on like, <laughs> always falls on Father's Day. I wrote a piece about growing up in that house and just how like ice cream and summers and cakes and strawberry cakes in our backyard and mm-hmm. like you know racing in the backyard, but with my siblings and with cousins who would come over. And my father always doing some type of handiwork because he did a lot of work around the house. That is some of the fondest memories I have. Spending hours reading. I mean, my parents probably just wanted this because you know Nigerians are always face your books so their whole thing was like where you're not in school and you're maybe not in summer camp because they couldn't really afford it for us and so so many of us and Mm -hmm. so they would just throw us in the library we knew all the librarians knew us like (laughs) we were their own kids um we knew them by name and they always put us in the summer reading competitions and we would always win is that who can read the most books? Yeah. Okay. So, like, I was reading, like, 400, 500 books a summer. Goodness and, yeah, gracious. right. It, which is That's crazy good. looking back. It was where I had discovered Maya Angelou. It was where I had discovered James Baldwin. Like, mm-hmm. just, like, you know, perusing through the, just, like, the, the the shelves and stuff of the library. And it wasn't that big of a library. It was a week-week library. So it was, like, one of the smaller branches of Newark Public Library. And I would read everything everything and then they would let us take and we weren't allowed to take more than five books home but they would let us take like 30 and 40 books home because what? we were there so much yeah they trusted you yeah so they were they just coming back yeah like they were like we were coming back and so they would like you know or they would tell my father if we didn't you know bring it back or whatever like that and mm-hmm. uh, yeah that was like years we spent in the library until my parents decided to like until we had to go to summer camp or until like you know one year we went to Nigeria for like the whole summer because of um, we had to go back for my grandfather's uh, funeral, but like things like that. But that is what I remember. I don't. Re- I re- I remember school, but summers at two sixty four Lehigh is like my biggest memory. That's wonderful. And then you and your big family. That yeah, like me and my big family. Um, and not only that, our house we lived with like t- my father. So my, my father, we live with tenants. Mm-hmm. So we lived on the second floor and people moved in and out of the first floor of the attic, which was like another small apartment, another basement, which was another apartment. And we just had like a revolving door of like people coming in constantly in our house. My parents had an open door policy. Mm. So many different people came through our house. These family members? Like- family members, non-family members, people who needed a place to stay. My parents, wow. yeah. My parents were one of those people who people would call and be like, hey, this person needs help or this person needs a place to stay. Was that part of the immigrant experience? <sighs> it was, but then not everybody was Nigerian. Oh, 
some people were um, American. Some people were from the block. My wow. father was really well known on the block. While I don't recall Newark being unsafe, mm-hmm. it was. And I think my father learned quickly coming to this country the best way to ensure your safety is mm-hmm. to know who you're around. Mm. Um, whether it's adult boys, whether it's, you know, the crackhead down the street, whether it's like, you know, and see their worth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my father, one of my father's uh, closest friends was a drug addict. He's been clean for 20 years now, I think. Mm-hmm. But I remember coming home and seeing him. He was also, an, he's also like a very intelligent man, very intelligent man, um, electrical engineer. And so he would do all of like the work. Whenever my father would do work around the house, he would call him to come and do it. And then, you know, at one point he fell back into drugs. And I remember coming to the house and he had found his way into our house. And he was like, I need to see your father. And he was high. And, and I, these are things that, but like my mom was pissed. <laughs> I'm sure. Because she's um, thinking about. Like the same thing for kids. Yes. Yeah. Um, she was like, you know, these people keep coming to our house. Like yeah. at that point. She was like, no, I'm done with this. <laughs> but like, you know, if not, my my father was one of the reasons that this man uh, recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the things I think about when I like, I'm not the kind, I'm not like the most neighborly person. I don't know who the hell is living next to me on the street. My father does. My father always does. He knows who the, he knows who lives down the street, down the block. And it's always like the older men, of course, like, yes. you know, but he knows everybody that's living and that's there great. yeah and it's it it really was what kept me sheltered yeah that you know kept me away from certain things because there were shootings on the on the block there was like rock constant robberies we lived on a semi-quiet block but i mean like there was lines that have mm-hmm. right there yeah you know down the street was beth Row. oh uh, exactly where you live. yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. you know i I don't, I, that's what sheltered us besides like the gate, but like, you know. Oh, so where were you like, um, as you know, a teenager, by then you've moved to East Orange? No, as a teenager, 13, I graduated from eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Then my parents dropped the bomb on us that we were going to be moving to Pennsylvania. Oh, I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) My father just thought that we needed a change. Mm. My father had spent majority of his life kind of like bustling around so he saw that as like a build of character Mm -hmm. and he thought that we had been too stable that we needed to see that we needed a little bit of shake up in order to like that we were too soft because we had been too like everything had been so stable in our lives we never moved we don't recall moving um we had never gone to a different school like he would switch like we actually we we switched schools twice because my father wanted to like not have us in the same setting for too long. What? Yeah, and that I was think, his philosophy. but I think it was because of how he grew up. Yeah. He went from Nigeria to he didn't grow up in Nigeria. He grew up in Cameroon. He lived in Cameroon, Nigeria for maybe six years, mm-hmm. like from birth to six years old, and then was um, shipped to Cameroon and spent a majority of his time there, mm-hmm. and then came to America, and then he he moved constantly while he was here until he finally married my mom and settled. It had to settle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to him, it was like, it's a build of character. You see new things. You see different people. Um, you're never, you never, stu- you never find yourself stuck in the same place or you never think that the same place, like, that's where you have to stay at. So yeah. I think he felt like it was just like a build of character. I think he forgot about the, 
you know, the psychology behind it, mm-hmm. that, like, as teenagers, it's the worst time to uproot your children. <laughs> and then, like, y'all weren't in, like, Philly. Y'all were in, No, like- we moved to the Poconos. We, <laughs> we moved to, to Scotland Road um, in the Poconos, and it was such... I can easily say it was, as a teenager, it was one of the worst years of my life. We moved and we went to, we were in the school system, first time going to public school, first time going to a school so big because we had spent our lives in Newark private schools, Catholic schools, um, and they were pretty small. Mm-hmm. And then went there and now I'm exposed to a school that has a thousand seniors. Seniors. Yeah, that's a big school. Yeah, huge. That's a big school. And they were also, they had a lot of transplants from New York and from New Jersey. So they were, this is a growing community. Mm-hmm. Um, going from being, seeing black faces all the time to being one of the few black classes, black faces in my class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't understand you. Oh right? my God. Okay. And taking a bus to school, which was odd as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, being on the bus where like, we were segregated on the bus. Like the mm-hmm. white, it's white people sat in the back, which is ironic and funny as hell. But they would sit in the back and white people sit in front and then the black kids would sit in the middle. And it was based on, it was class and it was race. Um, The trailer park kids sat up front and then like the more, the wealthier kids sat in the back and and those are white. And then the the few black kids, because we didn't have enough of us to like decipher between class are you joking no 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 no. i mean like there was a they were being picked up from a trailer park yeah which i i've never seen in my life but there was a trailer park that they would pick these kids up and they were all like from the trailer park Mm -hmm. and then there was the kids in the back who um came from wealthier from wealthier families Mm -hmm. um and this is also the era of like grunge Mm -hmm. and uh ska (laughs) and Mm -hmm. skaters so like everybody looked dirty as hell so you didn't even know who was like what was what (laughs) but you knew when you would, the bus would come and you would see the houses they'd be coming out of or like the areas they'd be coming out of and then you could say like okay this is this is and then eventually we figured out this is what it was so my sisters and I I this my sisters were in the middle school there and I was in the high school because I was and so like thankfully we had each other to ride the bus with yeah my brother and my little sister at the time they when I, you when I asked them about um, Pennsylvania they don't remember it they were like. I want to say they were like eight and six when we moved, maybe. Okay. They're kind of young. And they didn't have, they don't remember it much. And they didn't have the experience that we had. So it's kind of like a blip, like, oh, yeah, we moved. But then we moved back to Jersey, and they're like, that. It's, this is their, you know, mm-hmm. it was literally like a blip in their life where, like, they. I think they were just coming into their, you know, consciousness of things surrounding them. And there were some pretty traumatic things that happened to us in that year that I think takes precedence over us even moving there for them. My mom found out or found out she was pregnant with our seventh sibling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she didn't know she was pregnant, and we had gone through an experience with the healthcare system there that told them that um, this was a too high risk of a pregnancy, and she didn't abort. Um, they weren't going to take care of her. Wow. Yeah. So that's what propelled her to leave. The that we had to leave and come back so to Jersey, so healthcare. she can find healthcare because they refused to give her care. Um, they wouldn't do anything for her. They were like, you need to have an abortion if you don't. And then a lot of it had to do with racism and stuff like that. And Because um, she, as a nurse there, she was being treated poorly. So she was actually working in Jersey. She was mm-hmm. going back and forth. Um, and then she couldn't because she thought she fell sick. And she thought she was sick and uh, she, she was pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. Wow. So that was a blip, but it was a significant blip for you. Significant. You were 13. Yeah. 
13, 14 by the time we left. Freshman year high school. Freshman year high school. Um, yeah. Or 15 by the time we came back to Jersey. Because 13 going on 14, 15 by the time we came back. Mm-hmm. That summer, our baby cousin passed away from SIDS. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So that closed off an entire year of, like, trauma. Um and it affected all of us in various ways. Um, it was the first time we had had people pass away from like in our lives, but that was the first time we had had someone so close to us. She was only six months old oh. uh, and passed away fr- in front of us. And it was the first time that we had experienced something like that, particularly together and separately. Mm-hmm. She had sisters too, older sisters. And I remember at 15, we I was... I was watching her sister sleep, and I was so scared mm-hmm. of her sleeping. And I would check to see if she was breathing. So I put my ear next to her uh, her chest every so often. And then my sister was born that September, and I would constantly check to see if she was breathing. If she, if I felt like she was sleeping too, you know, too still or something like that. Oh, so it really put like a fear that I didn't even know I could have, and I think it's even carried into now. Um, there's an episode on Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy is one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where Maggie Pierce, who is Meredith Grey's uh, half-sister, so she's watching Meredith Grey's kids and stuff like that. And um, something had happened to one of the kids. I don't recall. But it was something serious. Mm-hmm. But Maggie is just like, how do you? She's like, I love these kids so much. And I, she's like, I can't. I can't breathe. I can't. I like. I think I. I almost thought I lost one of them today, and I can't breathe. And how do you do this every day? Like I can't do this. Like I feel like I'm dying because I love them so much. And I was just like, yeah, that's 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 exactly what it feels like. Yeah, that intense love. It's so intense, so strong, mm-hmm. and it's like you can lose them. And like, what do you do when you do? Like, what happens? Yes. Like, how do you how do you survive that? How do you? And I've lost. And and I've unfortunately had to experience losing um cousins several times after that and that feeling just gets stronger and stronger of like that fear yeah i thought i heard you talk about you this is your little sister's like 16 now yeah she's 15 going on 16 yeah yeah, i've heard you talk about her and and i one thing i i think of how is how lovingly whenever you she comes up in conversation that's that is god giving me the opportunity to practice being a mother yeah, because we're fifteen. That kind of you said it's age different. Yeah, so we're fifteen years apart. So yeah. she was, yeah. Aww. So it's it's so it's the opportunity to kind of. I've always been a motherish to my siblings. It's mm-hmm. it's the culture that I'm in. They immediately put that responsibility on you when you are the first daughter, or first child, particularly when you're a first daughter. Wow. Um, you're raised to like raise your siblings, but then you're still a child yourself. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you did you embrace that or did you ever feel like this is not fair? I think as I got older, I realized how unfair it was, particularly as I need to make decisions for myself. Yes. Um, and I was being bombarded with you need to make decisions based on how it's going to reflect and um, impress, put an impression upon your siblings. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I feel like I'm doing things like I'm living a whole entire life for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have not been able to make a decision for myself. I am only. And then every time I make a decision that was contrary to what was expected of me, I would be riddled with guilt. Like your own guilt. My own guilt beyond what people were telling me. Even if those things that people did not, people were going to find out. I learned very, I think being in a situation like that, I learned mm-hmm. very quickly on 
uh, how to keep secrets, mm. um, how to be very secretive, um, how to be extremely private and not, and keep things that I knew if people would judge me for or if people would judge my family for, I'd keep it to learn how to keep it to myself. So um, was the judgment greater on you because you were the first daughter? Because I was the first daughter. Because what I did, um, I was the door. I am the door. Mm. I Whatever I did would essentially be the... It would influence whatever my siblings would do. Is that true, though? You think so? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Because they see you, your siblings see you as, um, I don't think more so as much for my siblings as we get older because as we are, we're only like a year or two years apart. Um, so they don't see me as like too, like they don't see me as much of an influence or as a role model or as a mentor because our age difference is mm -hmm. big. But for like my baby sister, which makes sense because we're 15 years apart. So she sees me and what I do and she's just like, oh, I want to be like my, you know, Adane. I want to be like my sister. Yes. Um, that makes more sense. So she's she's looking at us. Same thing with like the last, yeah, the last three, mm -hmm. the ones we call the babies, like that, the second generation. Yeah. They are the ones who I can see myself influencing. And so I'm slightly mindful, but at the same time, this is my like as looking at it as a second chance i'm also it's also important to me to let them know that there is a, they have a right to do any and everything yeah they don't have to worry about what i think what our parents think the most important thing is that they be successful in the way that makes them content and happy in this world and that's what i've been pushing on to them and i was like so i before i used to be afraid of like i don't want you to see any extra piercings i have or the tattoos i have i don't want you to think you can go out to your do it yourself mm -hmm. but i'm like no like if they want to get tattoos that's fine but we need to talk like what I want to do is create a space where they can talk to me about these things yes. or just come to me and be like, hey, this is something I'm thinking about doing instead of hiding it. Yeah. And I think by you living your life the way you're living it right now, that's also because you're probably still influencing them. Yeah. To, you know, go out maybe. Which, from what I know, I don't know all your siblings, but I do know one. I feel like she's living her best life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's really sweet. Um, so I guess that takes us into, you want to go to college? <laughs> which I feel like that's the beginning of the big sigh. Uh, college can be real quick. Uh, oh, no. Okay. I hated it. Um, I went to Rutgers University. Um, I started in 2006. Yeah, 2006. I graduated in 2011. Um, I graduated with enough credits to, if Rutgers is like, hey, two years of schooling is trash, we need to throw it out, I'd still be able to graduate. That's how many credits I had. Yeah. Um, I stayed in school because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do by the time I left. I started as a pharmacy major, um, dropped that after one semester, I failed chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> Uh, failed chemistry, but I still went on with the idea that I was going to become um, a medical doctor. I was going to mm -hmm. become a surgeon. My plan was to become a cardiovascular surgeon or a cosmetic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, no. Uh, went through it, got my degree in public health, started studying for my MCAS, and decided that the <laughs> that the medical medicine route was not for me. Was there a de defining reason or just kind of you felt like this was not the direction you want your life to go in? It wasn't the direction. I, I, people would talk about the competition of medical school mm -hmm. and would talk mm -hmm. about the um, the drive necessary. One of, my, one of my friends when we were in college, we were studying. And one of my friends, shout out to you. He's a, hom he's a homie though. And he was just like, do you want to take Adol? Because I was studying for Orgo. Yeah. Organic chemistry. And he's just like, 
you should get some Adderall. I got some for you. I can get some for you. And I was like, no, I don't want to take it. I'm just going to have to like thug it out. And he was like, then you're not serious about school. Oh, he said that to you? So he was like, you're not serious. He was like, if you don't take this Adderall, like you aren't, he was just like, you need to do any and everything. (laughs) But then, you know, it, it dawned on me that I was like, if I'm not willing I mean, it's a terrible assessment, mm. but at the same time, <laughs> it something clicked in me when he said that. It mm-hmm. was just like, I'm really not willing to do any and everything for this. Like, that's, I'm not. That's, that's profound. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not. And that was maybe my fourth year in college. Mm-hmm. He had just gotten into medical. He had just graduated, so yes, it's my fourth year. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was just like, yo, like, you're not serious. And I was just like, wow. maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Man, I tried to get my mom to prescribe me some Adderall, and I was like, I have attention deficit disorder. <laughs> and she was like, what? And I was like, everybody here is taking it, and I'm the only one not taking it, and they're going to have a competitive. So she looks it up in her reference book, and she was like, girl, if you think I'm about to subscribe you some speed so that my child could be in the corner right. selling herself to get a hit, you have lost Exactly. <laughs> so you made the right decision. Yeah, I was like, this... <laughs> You know, I can't seem to, but like he was just like, yo, and I, it just really, and then like it, this is a, it's something that has stuck with me for years, and through the years when I wanted to make that decision, after making the, finally making a decision that like medicine isn't for me. That that I mean, how you came to it is is comical, but the the thought is profound. Like, oh wait, I'm not willing to do anything and everything for this, and that is a, what am I willing to fight for? That is a that's a profound thought. Yeah, that was it. That's what I because he was a psycho. Like, you need to. I was like, he was tripping though. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> what I was just like, that's insane. But then yeah. it was in a in a the very mm-hmm. in the oddest way he was right. I was like, I'm not I'm not interested in doing anything. I'm not like everybody else around me. Literally is like popping pills to study and make sure or like going through crazy routes to Mm -hmm. figure out how to get to medical school or how to like pass an exam and i wasn't doing that yes just to allay your fears though if you're listening i I do have plenty of friends who are doctors who did not take yeah yeah yeah. no 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 no. it's not i mean it's a it's (laughs) the numbers are showing it's a rising thing it's so it's so common that like but no there's plenty of doctors who do not take Adderall. you can do it without adderall um that That speaks yeah it speaks more to the system that we're in as far as education and then people it's not them (laughs) it does and the field of i mean the pressure the feeling of um i have to compete that's yeah and that was in a, and I wasn't until I graduated college I realized I had suffered from depression and anxiety majority of my college years mm-hmm. um, I, I told you prior that I had to when I graduated from college is when I started to like I had to spend years getting back to myself mm-hmm. I had to learn who I was again I had to learn um kind of regain confidence in myself, particularly my intelligence because I had lost all confidence in my intelligence while I was in school why do you think that was <sighs> I I did I never I had always in high school I had been one of those smartest people in the room mm-hmm. always been the smartest person in the room as a kid I was telling somebody this a couple of days ago I grew up a lot of people calling me ugly and I was like that's fine I can this be is ugly. in your school like you know in school I had grown up with like xenophobia and like I was dark skin I had African features or like you know very Afro features and. Um, my mom cooked 
ethnic food, so I would smell like it sometimes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Grew up with that. Um, if you listen to the grapevine, I had a situation when I was in ninth grade where a girl spit in my food, and they, the explanation uh, was yes. that I was African and ugly, and that's why they did what they did. <sighs> spit in my food and then watch me eat it, and then I was told after. This was not in Pennsylvania. It was Pennsylvania. That yeah, thought yeah, so. Yeah. And it wasn't like a white girl that did it. It was a, it was a, it was a, um, a black Latinx girl. Is I'm never, I'm never gonna forget that. Is that? I was gonna ask you. Is that still triggering to you? Because listen to it is triggering for me. Yeah, I'm never, I'm never gonna forget That's that. I'm sure. I've, I think I've, I've forgiven her, but I'm never gonna forget how. And uh, it wasn't because it wasn't just her. Like, it was everybody at the table who was complicit at it because uh, they had watched her do it. And they sat there and laughed. And the reason that everybody, and it was like, why? And I remember, and so this one girl went to them and asked them, why do you hate Uchachi so much? She black, she ugly. She thinks she knows too much. That was their reasoning. Being black and ugly was fine. But the fact that they said, oh, she knows too much. I was like, it's cool. That Did that bother you or did that not? No, it was oh, fine okay. with me because yeah. my intention from being a kid who had been caught, because even growing up in Newark, which has a heavily immigrant population, black population, there was still like those moments of like, you're dark, ugly, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, it's fine because my goal is to be the smartest person in the room. I don't care how y'all think because my face is going to pay for my bills. Mm-hmm. So I need to be the smartest person in the room. And that was like from a ch- from childhood. So if you thought me as dumb, that's when my feelings would be hurt. Mm-hmm. And then I got to college, and it seemed like not only was I was but that I wasn't intelligent, I also wasn't pretty. And now I had been I had to face my feelings of how I felt about how I looked, mm-hmm. and how I felt about um, you know other people's perceptions of my intelligence and what that meant. Because the numbers when they come in for classes would show. And this is why, once again, we have an issue with education because I go into school, I'm not doing well in these courses, and everybody's talk, like, it's basically like you clearly don't know what you're doing. You need to drop it. And that Who was told kind of, you that? like my, you know, professors and oh. stuff like that. They'd be like, um, you need to change your major because you're not doing well in this class. Mm-hmm. You might as well just leave it alone. This isn't your strong point. It was never like, okay, so how do we help you fix this? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we help you do better? Yeah. It was just, just drop it. Um, there was never any like help. And that could be to the fact that Rutgers is huge, so they're not helping anybody. I'm also taking classes that are weed out classes. And the fact that we even have weed out classes. What's that? Classes that are for like really um, difficult majors that are just meant to get people out of there. Um, I see. So I have two questions. One, how did you, because you started saying how you, after college, came back into yourself and regained your mm-hmm. confidence. Like, what helped you? And also, do you still feel like you have to be the smartest person in the room because that feels like a burden to me it is i don't feel that as much anymore yeah um being out of that environment definitely helped um being away from a place where i just felt so insignificant definitely made it just alone made a difference Mm -hmm. um I'm trying to think what if there was anything. I don't know. Maybe that was enough. Yeah. I mean, I think getting out of the environment. Just leaving. I've never looked back. Like when people are like, oh, we're going to go back for homecoming. First off, Rutgers homecoming. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I never felt the need to go back. My brother actually ended up going to Rutgers. Wildly different experience than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would go back to drop him. Like I would take him back to school when he would come back up, you know, and I would have stomach aches coming back on campus Ouch. so i definitely have to deal with that because this is i'm 
this is years later and I'm still kind of having this like physical reaction to Rutgers and I'm just like man like I really wasn't happy here being away from there I started working in the city mm-hmm. I started working around people who our focus wasn't on wasn't on results so mm-hmm. like wasn't on testing wasn't on like it was just genuine connections I we weren't studying for anything and I did have friends who at the time I was studying for my MCAT mm-hmm. um, I applied I Registered for the course, paid my three hundred twenty plus dollars, mm-hmm. and then decided that I am not going to medical school. Wow! And I think that that just kind of, but it also put me in an existent like I, I was in crisis. I didn't know wh- who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I spent, is okay, right? I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, you never know at the time. I was just like, so what am I supposed to do? So I kept pushing myself like, okay, I'm not going to go to medical school. I'm going to go to get my degree in epidemiology. I'm going to find a way. Like I still wanted, I felt like I wasn't enough if I didn't have like a science degree or if I didn't have like a postgraduate degree that wasn't in science or something. Mm -hmm. And it comes from, it's cultural. It's also like, you know, my parents are like, so what are you doing with your life? In in order to feel significant for everybody else. Mm Um, That's a. I mean, I always feel like we are encouraged to define ourselves by what we do. Right. So if you don't do that, then who are you? Right. Like, so and it, it was embarrassing because I would apply to college. I would apply to grad school. I wouldn't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, this is for not for medical school. Not now. for medical school. This, this is, is for grad school. Like to get mm-hmm. to that, my epidemiology because I was like, all right, I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to get my doctorate. Um, and I'm just and that's the route I'm going to go because I, I have my degree in public health and I really liked it. And I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. It's just now that I'm just like. It's okay if I never go back to school. Mm-hmm. It's okay if I never have another science degree. Even though I genuinely do like science and I like science-based things. Yeah. Um, but it's okay if it never happens. Mm-hmm. It's okay if I walk a completely different path in life than what I expected. Compl- like, it's okay. Amen. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's just in my, like, now. It's just as I, like, enter into, like, this new decade of life that I'm finally, like, being like, it's, it's fine. You yes. won't, you're not... You're not your degree. You're not your GPA. You're not any of that stuff. So I really feel like there are some people who are listening to us that needed to hear that. Let me tell you something. You are not your GPA. <laughs> You're not your degree. Everybody will tell you that, but in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. neither one have helped me get any of the things that have meant the most to me. Amen. All right. So from there, that leads us to really where you are now and what you do now. And... So the reality is, is that I am, I have a job that pays the bills, but then what my heart is in is run the tape, my podcast that I co-host with Cozy, Comfy Cozy. But yeah, he's the creator of it, creator, creative director, um, and he put me, he brought me onto it. Um, And then Inside the Pink, which we started last year. And then um, I give a lot of credit to The Grapevine, um, a lot of stuff to Ashley for seeing something in me that I didn't quite see because I was still on that journey to kind of like recognize who I was again and what I was worth. And she, we met through a mutual friend. Funnily enough, I went to college with her sister, mm-hmm. and but I never talked to her sister while we were in college. And then we met through another mutual friend, and she was like, oh, "I have a show, and I want, um, I'm, would you want to be on it?" And I told her no because I felt like. What do I? I don't want to be in front of a camera. I don't belong in front of a camera. I'm not photogenic. This is not my space. I saw her again a year later, 
And she was just like, no, like, I really think that you, and she was like, you know, I'm really, I'm, and she had, and the funny thing is, is that that was the time when she had kind of grounded the show because she couldn't afford it. She couldn't mm-hmm. pay for it. Um, and then she was starting up again and she hit me up the next year and was just like, hey, so like, and she had done a couple of episodes and she was just like, yeah, you know, I really think you should be on the show. Like, I, you know, I think you have like good ideas. And I was just like, okay. I read a year of yes at that time. And I was like, I'm going to say yes to everything that comes my way. Mm. Actually came my way. And wow. she asked me to be on the show. And I remember being so nervous and then people really reacting positively to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because it gave me, it opened up my mind because I was like, where do I belong? Where am I going? And then the grapevine happened. And I yeah. was like, this is this is where I'm going. This is where I belong. Absolutely. So, yeah, I have the job that I have to use until <laughs> I can, you know, until everything, you know, until the, the, the dream really comes together. Do you know what the dream is yet? Are you still figuring out? I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's totally okay. Because this is a, this, this realization, this journey that I, the current journey that I'm on is only three or four years old. Yeah. Still a toddler, just learn how to walk, just learn how not to pee in the bed. Yes. So sometimes it's still she still pees in the bed. So like you know, so we're still we're in the pamper stage. So yeah. you know, uh, Huggies at night just made it to preschool. So like you know, it's it's still materializing. It's still like growing. Um, I'm just really grateful that I get to meet all these people who find a way to help me along the way. Yes, and um, just amazing people. Yeah, in so. general, absolutely. All right, so. We have some uh, questions we definitely want to get to. Right. Uh, some deep and probing questions. Let's start with this one. This is really, really deep, guys. So get ready for it. Hold your breath. <laughs> What's the worst date <laughs> you've ever had? <laughs> I can't wait for this, personally. <laughs> I've told this story a couple of times. I've had some really interesting dates. Um, and I plan on writing a book one of these days about them. Because they're some of them are real. I've had trash relationships, but I found the humor in a lot of them. And Mm -hmm. so I want to share that one day. Um, But worst date, met this guy. Let's call him Darius. Let's call him Darius. He was really fine. 6'3", dark skin, nice haircut, nice teeth, nice body. Looked like a a basketball player. I was right because he did play basketball in college. Mm -hmm. But... um, (laughs) Really, really cute. Mm-hmm. And he asked for my number. And so I gave it to him. And he called me that night, which gave him a plus because he immediately called me. So I think he, once he got home, called me, had an amazing conversation with him. He was a father, loving father, single father. Um, he loved the Lord, was very active in his church it's all positive so all far, positive okay. things he hadn't finished college because his son had been born okay. but like and he took you know he immediately took a took responsibility um he was really sweet i'm in suspense right now because so far like i'm like this is amazing good so guy um he made me laugh all the amazing things all the amazing qualities he called me every night because we oh. couldn't really meet up because I had I was working in New York at the time he was working he was working in Jersey Mm -hmm. and he lived in Philly so like you know the communication like the 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 commute affected us Mm -hmm. but so in that meantime he would call me every night Um, we'd have amazing conversations nightly Um, really smart we had a lot of goals that aligned Mm -hmm. then we decided to go out I had to cancel because at the last minute I had a family emergency and it just so happened that he had one too. And so like 
we canceled. We said we would reschedule. Mm-hmm. And then one day I, I called him or text him because we text and I didn't hear from him. He like disappeared. Dis- so you did end up going out. We didn't. Oh, you didn't. Okay. Because we had to cancel. So the okay. next time that I we rescheduled, we rescheduled, and I remember trying to confirm that reschedule, and I t- text him, and he, was, this was like a guy who was texting me good morning, good night, yeah. like I was getting the morning, the good morning text, <laughs> um, oh. all of that stuff. Then he called me, and was just like, I'm really sorry, a family member had passed away, okay. a really close like uh, it was a cousin that was like a brother to him and he had to fly out to let's say california um to handle funeral arrangements and stuff like that this is what he said he Mm -hmm. said he was going through a lot and he just and he needed time and so i said okay and so he was like i'm really sorry i don't mean he's like i did not mean to abandon you like that um it was wrong on my part but i just didn't know how to handle this i said y'all can't see my face Listen, <laughs> I I was like, okay, like, you know, and but as somebody who had, I, I gave him that benefit of the doubt because yes. as somebody who had experienced death, I understood, I got it. Um, it. And for him to come, you know, and then to even apologize to it instead of coming, like, call me back, like, what's up, as if nothing had happened. Like, he was fully aware that he had done something wrong and he had acknowledged it and he apologized and so his next thing. And so then, like, and... <laughs> So I was like, this is great. Like, you know, we, we have a reason for why he disappeared and ghosted me. This should be great. Um, so we we text. We have a place to meet up. Um, it's a Thursday evening. It's the summertime. So I told him, you know, I'm driving back from work. He texted me that morning to confirm that we'd be meeting up. So I said, cool. Um, then he texts me as I'm leaving. So we're texting each other as we're leaving work. And so we'll meet up at this place. And then I'm running late because I decided, I was like, I'm going to go home and change. Like, I'm going to be cute. Um, so I said, I'm going to be running about 15 minutes late. So he says, yeah, great. I'm 20 minutes away from the restaurant. And that was the last time I ever heard from him. I <laughs> get to the restaurant. <laughs> what? Yeah. I was like, cool. You'll be there before me then. And I get to the restaurant. I'm thinking that he's there already, but I didn't get a text. So I'm thinking maybe his phone died, something like that. Nah. I get there. I ask them, hey, is it, does anybody named Darius show up or whatever? And they're like, no. So I sit waiting. 15 minutes pass, 20 oh minutes God. pass. I text them like, hey, are you here? No response. 30 minutes pass. And I text him like, yo, like, what's going on? Like, I thought you were supposed to 20 minutes away. I never heard from this guy again. Ever in life? Ever. Not even in, years later, did you not uh, even figure years out? years later. He may have died. Everybody says that. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I am, I'm, no pun intended, I'm dead serious. Everybody like, says, eat. like, yo, he might have died. The only weird thing is just that the, the, his family was going, the death, so I was that was kind of like, maybe that was a foreshadowing, but... He might have died. You never did a Google search, a, a obituary search. So let me tell you how God works. Yes. Could it, he told me his last name, mm-hmm. told me his address. Okay. Told me where he like worked at and stuff like that. Oh. All of this happened. I did not remember a thing. I could barely remember his name. Like even like so even so even after to he search stood you up or yeah even to like if I wanted to search and I tried to like and I had his phone number and I texted him a couple of days like I really hope everything is all right mm-hmm. um, I hope nothing is because I, I then I remember he has a child anything could happen 
Yeah. So I was like, you know, I hope everything is cool. I hope nothing is wrong with, your, you know, with you or your family again. And I hope you and your child are good. Um, but if you were on some bullshit, fuck you in your entire life. That was my text. And then that was it. And then somebody was like, oh, you should try and Google him. Couldn't remember shit. So even like that's like like days after you just couldn't remember. Couldn't remember a thing. And I think and I I was like, this is this is God saying that this it's okay. It's God saying it's okay. But this part of me that feels like Oh God, I hope nobody died on their way to meet you. I, I, oh, I don't know. What do you? What is your gut? My gut is telling me that he just like ghosted me. That he's perfectly really fine. Yeah. Think that he would go through all of that, and when he finally gets actually gets to meet you and see you, and he could have easily been married. Yeah. He, I've been in that position before. He could have been married. Y'all have to. Yeah. So he wow. could he could have been married. He could have had a whole. But then, like like I said, I had all this information, and then like and I couldn't God, remember that's it. That's God. Can I just remember like, it? So yeah, that was like my worst date because it never happened. Ooh, wow. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's something else. Um, okay, so Okay, we're gonna switch gears here. Let's switch gears. Um that's okay. Since we've talked about a date, what is your relationship with your femininity and who or what helped you to define uh what femininity is to you? I um had a really, I've had a really weird relationship with femininity, um, and I think it stems from. So I've always known I've never had an issue with my gender, mm-hmm. but being presenting as feminine or presenting as feminine, I've always been like what you consider girly from like birth. My mom was would always make tell these stories about how like I was adamant even at one years old that my underwear should match my dresses. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Like, I was adamant about that. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, like, you would cry if it was a different color. She was like, it was really, she was like, it was very odd. And I I love pink from, like, a young age. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I got older, I was like, I don't really like pink. Um, But I was always very much, like, I was a girl, but I knew that I could do things like a boy. So I would very, you know, I was like, I'm. Just because you can do it, you're a boy, I can do it too. Like, that was, like, my whole thing for, like, years. Like, oh, a boy did it, I'm going to do it too. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, if a boy did it, I have to do it to prove that I can do it. Well, that's so interesting because you, not to cut you off, but I'm just curious because you grew up around so many girls. Yeah. Where did that come from? Probably my male cousins. Okay. Probably them. Probably being like, you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, you can't play football. You can't do, I can't play football. Um, <laughs> trash at most sports. <laughs> 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 But yeah, I think that's where it came from. Just like mm-hmm. trying to catch up, trying to like catch up with my cousins. Yeah. Trying to like, you know, because they were they were older. It wasn't even like I was because I was a girl. It was because they were older. They didn't want anything to do. So they, they're, the quickest way to get rid of me was like, you're a girl. But they were like, you are a baby. <laughs> like, And they were older than me. They're like four or five years older than me. And I'm running after them. And they're like, uh, you can't even, you're not even supposed to be here. Oh. But yeah, I think that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, And then... But as I got older, I realized that people didn't see me as feminine, mm. even when I tried. Um, Do you think And that? I think that that came from, I think that comes more so from anti-blackness than anything else. I don't yes. think that was more so like I wasn't presenting a particular way. And then I, in college, I really was obsessed with, maybe like towards the end of like mid-high school, towards the end of college, I was really obsessed with like, 
um, being seen as a lady. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't curse. I didn't. Um, I tried really hard to never leave the house with the with the hair cover on. Mm-hmm. I. <laughs> There's a couple things. Um, I was also like really into like making sure that my grammar was correct. Mm-hmm. So all these things to make sure that like you know people would see me as a lady. It was around high school. It was around the time I decided that I wasn't going to have sex until marriage mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. And then I got to college and I was just like, and I, I don't know when, and I was like, what am I holding on to these things for? Like, what exactly is it that is making me feel like I have to prove to the world that I am a lady, that I am super ultra feminine? And when mm-hmm. it's not, that's not what femininity is. That's mm-hmm. not... Uh-huh. Um, that's not even who I am. And why would I want to be a lady in the first place? Like, who wants to be that restrictive in their life? And who gets to define what lady is? Exactly. And um, towards the end of my, uh, in that last year of college, it was my fifth year, I let go of all of that. I made it an intentional point to not focus on the rules of grammar so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I s- started cursing again. Um, <laughs> things like that. And I think... I've never really been taught what femininity was, but I, you know, outside of what the media was telling me. Yeah. And I think I was trying to compensate for the fact that people didn't see me as attractive. So the best way to do that was by seeing by presenting as the most feminine I possibly could. And it just didn't work for me because it wasn't me. And I think one thing I'm grateful for in my life is that while I am not while I've experienced these situations where I feel like I'm not enough or like, you know, I don't feel attractive or whatever like that in the world. Whenever I try to attempt to assimilate or fit myself into a mode, I get uncomfortable very quickly and I can't stay there. If I'm not feminine, then it's fine because I can't even be the feminine that y'all want me to be. So I'm just going to have to be not feminine. Like, it's fine. But then I would come to a point where it's like, that's, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the way our system is set up and our society is set up. Yeah, and I just... I know you, the later version of you. Mm-hmm. So, and I, my only encounter with you is as I I know about that. There's so many different ways of expressing. Mm-hmm. So I would never describe you as unfeminine or unattractive because I just know these thirsty men that be thirsty, for <laughs> you, <laughs> thirst for you. So I just like think about it. Like now that you look back, like do you feel that your interpretation of people not finding you attractive was maybe? I mean, obviously, there's always somebody that don't think that we cute. Okay. But do you think that maybe you you were, it was more in your mind than what really was reality? Or do you think that really was like you were constantly being fed messages that you weren't? It was both. Um, there was definitely messages from men I had dated about oh, my wow. body, about my, like, about how I looked. Wow. Um, I also, the freshman 20 was more like a freshman 60 for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I gained a significant amount of weight. And then also, I just... I felt so invisible, um, which is funny because a couple a couple of days ago, I was talking to an old friend, and he was talking about a project that he's working on, and he mentioned somebody that went to school with me, mm-hmm. and it was somebody that dated my roommate, who I'm very close with. Um, she was one of my closest friends, and he was like, yeah, he says that he knows you. I was like, me? And he was just like, yeah. I was like, he knows who I am? <laughs> You didn't think that he remembered you? I did, I, it blew my mind. And I was like, he knows me? He was like, yeah. He was like, he He was like, yeah, I know. He was like, yeah, I know her. Like, we went to school together. Um, she And runs down how he knows me. And I was just like, yo, I've never talked to that guy ever. And then for him to remember me 
it reminded me how much not only did I, so the world in a way was closed off to me, but then I had closed off because I thought that nobody wanted me. So I had closed off so many different people and I had closed off so many different doors and avenues. Um, and in order to avoid feeling a certain way, yeah, it's scary how you can see yourself one way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how every right to that person he may have been like, Of course, I remember her, yeah, because he was memorable. And he, I was just like, that's how, how? And yeah. I remember thinking, like, I never spoke to this guy a day in my life. It was definitely a lesson of, like, mm-hmm. you weren't as invisible as you thought you were. No, that's a lesson that, yeah, that's, I think that's so good for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. That. Somebody somebody is, somebody is sees you. Somebody is watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in that negative way of, like, somebody is watching to see where you're going to go wrong. No, somebody is <laughs> genuinely. watching. Yeah, I know. Like, where's she going to? No. Somebody is genuinely curious about you. And I know that a lot of us feel very alone. And it's not the case. There's somebody who will remember you. And people. Many. Many. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're not as hidden as we think we are. Not at all. Okay, so, and this one, guys, this is a great question. This is Ucheshi's suggestion to ask this question, and I'm glad she did. What is the one thing that you want me to know about you? I can be harsh. Mm-hmm. I can be harsh. But I, it's very rare that I don't mean something out of love. And the reason I think I'm harsh is because I am so used to it. I know that truth can be told without harshness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've sometimes I forget that part. So, yeah, I think that that's, um, I don't mean, I don't like being mean. I don't mean to be mean. Mm-hmm. So when things come out of heart, it comes out harsh. It's mainly because I haven't thought through of a, just a, a better way to say something. And I think that's something I'm learning to just be better at telling, being at the, at the honesty, mm. just being better at honesty. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's good. Thank yeah. you for that. That's <laughs> I'm going to play some sentimental music when I edit. Like, in the background. Okay, so these questions get real deep as we get towards the ending. How do you know or how will you know when you're, that you're walking in your purpose? I'm comfortable in my skin. Are you there? I'm getting there. Getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. I feel like I'm doing... I don't feel like running away. Mm. I don't feel like hiding. Ah, yeah, that's profound. Because last week, uh, last episode, uh, when we talked about love, and you said it's safety, it's safety, it's protection, and it's and I mean that for self love. I yeah. mean that for like even love of what you do. Um, and I'm also fully of when I'm walking in my pers- purpose. There's no the purpose is while the full picture is invisible. Mm-hmm. I'm also not. Um, afraid of the hard work that comes along with it, mm-hmm. so I'm not. So when uh, when an obstacle comes along, I'm not like, what the hell? Like I don't feel like dropping everything and be like, you know what, this ain't for me, and I'm wa- washing my hands of it. Yeah. Um, I want to work through it. Yeah. I, uh, like that. I think that's that's yeah. I love that. That's that's, that's also walking in love. I'm here for the good, and I'm here for for the, the bad. Yeah. I don't feel like running away when things don't go, or when I feel. And I also recognize that when I do get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. the, I recognize the different versions of discomfort. Mm. So the discomfort is I'm growing yes. as opposed to you don't belong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's maturity but. right there. <laughs> We're getting older, guys. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> it comes at age. Um, okay, so what is the greatest lesson that you've learned so far? 
this may be real cliche. Mm -hmm. I don't know shit. That's that's it. Mm. I don't. And I was one of those kids who thought I knew everything. Even when I got to college, I was just like, everyone's like, yo, you don't know everything. And I'm like, I do actually. I do. <laughs> I know everything. I know who I am. I know what I want. I know everything. And I know nothing. And that's and that's really it. And um and I'm not and it's not a humbling thing anymore for me. Before mm -hmm. I used to be like, I felt like it was humbling, like the world, like the universe is humbling me. Yeah. And no, it's actually giving me a gift because yes. it's like I get to learn more. Yeah. The more you know, the more you you realize know like, what you don't know. I know nothing, and it's. When, that's why when you said like I, I always felt the pressure to be the smartest person in the room, I was like, girl, that feels like a burden. I was like, do you? That's that would give me agitation. Because being able to say <laughs> I don't know is freeing. Yes. And for a long time, I would never say, I don't know. I'd be like, I would give you, I would find a way to give some form of answer, even if it was crap. But like, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. I know so much, but then it also makes me realize how much I don't know. Yeah. And that's great because yes. I love learning and, and getting the opportunity to continue learning through this life, learning of people, learning things. I'm learning who I am. That's another thing I think um, mm. in not knowing. And I don't know everything about myself, and that's fine. Yeah, you're a universe unto yourself. Exactly. And I learn something new every day, like if not every day, then at least every birthday I can always pinpoint, like, this is what I learned about myself this year. Yeah, absolutely. Even just doing this, like me learning about you, I feel like when other people could share their knowledge or their experiences with you, like, that's how you get close. Yeah a lot of times so um okay so what oh god this is so like heavy but <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be this hasn't changed since i was a kid when people think of me i want them to be like she changed the world mm. and that's and this is really all i wanted to I'm like i don't know how i don't know when but like i want to be able to like when people yeah she, she she changed she changed how i she changed me she changed mm -hmm. this world and that's what i that's what i want Yes, amen to that. The final question is, uh, who is Uchechi? Uchechi is a strong-willed, strong-minded, extremely sensitive, but finds it difficult to show, slow to love, but I don't know how to love in parts. I love so full, so completely. Sometimes I feel like this can be the detriment of myself. I am an open book in a closed library. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> cool, put that in a t-shirt salad. Um, I have so m I, I tell so much and tell so little sometimes, and I know that. It's because it's, it's a form of protection for myself. I just know that there's so much of me that I'm willing to give, and the world has not, like, they have, there's just, Y'all haven't gotten enough of Uchechi. That's there's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's yeah, not enough. That's I well, I think honestly the quote of the, of the episode <laughs> is I have an open book in a closed library. <laughs> like I feel like the next date, like tell me something about yourself. Like <laughs> you told the man that on the first date, he'd be like, All right, well let me just wow, go. <laughs> let me just pack my things and go. No hope. That is that was profound. And we're not doing gratitude today, but I just want to say thank you for your honesty and your truth and sharing your story. It's uh, very Thank empowering you. for me. And I know that a lot of people who are listening took so many gems from your story. Man, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And thank you all for listening to me. I've always said, like, I live, like, a, a boring life with, like, boring life with, like, these 
like really fire situations. And I'm like, how did I get here? (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, thank you for, man, allowing me to open up. Yes, this was, this was wonderful guys. And um, we'll be back to our, our, you know, usual format, but we hope you enjoyed this detour. Yeah. If you want to contact us, follow us. You can follow us on Inside the Pink Podcast on Instagram. You can tag us, Inside the Pink Podcast, Inside the Pink. You can also follow us or reach out to us um, through Gmail. So Inside the Pink Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us messages. Send us your um, thoughts and, you know, things that you have suggestions about. You know, we'll do our best. We're not the best with responding to emails all the time, but we'll definitely do our best to go through it. So don't, f- we're not ignoring you. It's just that like sometimes it takes time because yes. of unfortunately life yes. gets us, throws us curveballs here and there. So yeah, Phil, continue to follow us on IG. Thank you all. We've reached a thousand followers. So thank you so much for that. Yes. And, and that's yeah. it. Until next time, yeah. peace and love. Bye y'all. <laughs>